0: If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23, through the end of that chapter, including chapter 11, verse 1. So 1 Corinthians 10, 23-11, 1. One of my really good memories when I was a kid was going to the amusement park. Six Flags Great Adventure, Dorney Park. My parents would pay the flat entrance fee and then before me would be hours of unrestricted fun. The roller coasters, the bumper cars, the water rides on those hot summer days. I was free to enjoy them all. No restrictions, no tickets that I had to kind of, you know, budget out. I could ride all the rides. And my parent, the reason I could was because my parents had paid the way, and they were sufficiently confident that the rides were all safe enough for me to enjoy. And they took joy in seeing my enjoyments at all of these exciting, wonderful attractions. And that must have been a lot like what God felt when God created a good, wonderful, beautiful, and bountiful world. And God put the first humans in it and said, Go and enjoy. It's all safe, it's all paid for. Have fun. Of course, there was one type of fruit from one tree that wasn't safe, and God warned them about that specifically, but that's another sermon. Let's focus this morning on the multitude of trees and fruits and other delights that humankind could enjoy. As Psalm 24.1 puts it, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And God has given that earth and all that's in it for us to enjoy What a good, generous, loving God. Yet very often, religious people have a problem with that. They don't like so much freedom. They want to make some sacrifices for God, and they want others to do the same. They want to know what the boundaries are. They want some rules of what you can and can't do and what you can make others do and not do. They want the rules to be underlined and enforced. And just like this has been the case uh, among many Christians down through the ages, it was the case among many Jews in the Apostle Paul's day. Now, Paul himself was proud to be a Jew. And in many respects, he was a good Jew, a model Jew. But since he had started following Jesus Christ, there began to be some matters where Paul departed from his Jewish heritage. Now, the best-known food rules that Jews followed then and many still follow now are the kosher laws, particularly those having to do with clean and unclean meats. But that's not exactly the food law that, that relates to today's passage. The one at issue for us this morning is the regulation against eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Now, if you were here the past several weeks, we've looked at this before, right? Back in chapter 8, then again in chapter 10 last Sunday. There Paul makes it very clear that he agrees that you cannot go to the temple of a, a god or goddess like Aphrodite or Dionysus where meat, was sacrificed to that god or goddess, and then served to all the guests to eat, you can't participate in that because that is idolatry. It's like adultery. It's like cheating on Jesus, cheating on the true God by participating in the worship of false ones. But now, in today's passage, having made that clear, Paul is addressing something different. Now Paul is talking about that meat after the party is over. You see, there was usually leftover meat after these large idol feasts, and that meat was regularly sourced out into the marketplace where it was sold alongside other meat. So question, if I go to market to buy some meat, and I buy two really nice pounds of juicy T-bone steak for dinner, should I be worried about where that meat came from? and whether it had been sacrificed the night before to Dionysus. Well, the prevailing Jewish answer at that time was absolutely. It's absolutely sinful to eat any meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. So you need to do one of either one of two things. Either ask some questions and find out for certain where the meat you want to buy came from, and confirm for sure that it did not come from a pagan temple. Or, if you can't be sure, then even better, buy your meat from a Jewish butcher, where you know that it's kosher and safe. And this was the prevailing Jewish practice. And most likely, this was what Paul had been taught and how Paul had been raised. But on this particular issue, due to his relationship with Jesus Christ and his calling from Christ, to share the gospel with all nations, Paul has changed course. That his Jewish colleagues in this time would no doubt say he'd gone loose and progressive on this, permissive, because Paul now believes it's okay to go to the marketplace and buy and eat any meat you want. Verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market Without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in God's good creation belongs to God. And so feel free to enjoy it. No rules, no restrictions. Don't even ask questions about where it came from. Just buy it if you want and enjoy it gratefully. Then Paul adds, verse 27. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Don't start quizzing your host about the food. Just eat and enjoy what they put in front of you. You see, here's the principle Paul's working with here. Food itself, as a substance,
1: is morally neutral. A hunk of meat
0: is a hunk of meat. The true God made it. It belongs to God. So what if it's been offered to some false God who doesn't exist anyway? That doesn't pollute the meat or make it anything else than what it is, God's good gift. Sure, don't eat that meat in a pagan temple, because that's about worship and rituals that are evil and even demonic, Paul said in the first part of chapter 10. But the meat itself, afterwards, outside (laughs) of that ritual is still just meat. Food isn't inherently good or evil, it's just food. And since it belongs to God, and God's given it to us to eat, Paul says, eat it joyfully, eat it gratefully. You are free to eat and enjoy. Verse 29. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, Why am I being denounced? Because of something I thank God for. The food we eat belongs to God. God has generously given given it to us. We're free to eat it, so we thank God gratefully for it, which is why we pray before we have a meal, to thank God for the food. Isn't freedom wonderful? One of the wonderful aspects of the Gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is that it sets us free. It sets us free from religious rules, from man-made regulations that religious people have made up. And the Corinthians, whom Paul is writing to, they have grasped this freedom. They get it. But of course, being new to freedom, they don't know how to handle their freedom. Like some kids who go to college, right? They don't know when they're taking it too far. And I actually experienced this a bit when I went to college. I had been raised to eat healthy, very healthy. I'm talking sprouts on your sandwich kind of (laughs) healthy. And so when I went to college and I was on my own and my mom wasn't there to determine what I ate, I went a little crazy. I think I got dessert at every meal, maybe two desserts sometimes. (laughs) I didn't know how to handle my freedom. And it took several years before it dawned on me as as a young adult, maybe I should take care of this body before my poor eating choices start to catch up with me. Well, likewise, Paul is, is going to try to help the Corinthians temper their freedom with some wisdom. And he does this starting in verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, or I'm free to do anything. But... Paul says, not everything is beneficial. You say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Not everything builds up. Now you might remember from past sermons that there are no quote marks in the original Greek texts in which 1 Corinthians was written. So we don't always know when Paul is quoting what the Corinthians were saying and when he's saying what he thinks. And so depending on what translation of the Bible you have, it might read one way or another, but likely, and most of the newer translations agree, I have the right to do anything, quote unquote, is what the Corinthians are saying. And and the NIV has put you say in there to make clear that that's what they think is the case, even though that's not in the Greek text, because they're pretty sure that that's what the Corinthians are saying. But Paul's countering that and correcting that Oh yes, Paul says to the Corinthians, you like to brag about your rights and your freedoms, but not everything you think you're free to do is beneficial. Not everything builds up others. And then in verse 24, Paul gives them the principle that should guard their use of freedom. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, Do you use that freedom? That's the question. Answer, not to seek your own good. No, rather, God has set you free so that you can seek the good of others. So that you can love others. So that you can seek what's good for others. And then Paul gives an example of this. Remember, he'd given two examples of of how this freedom relates to eating meat. First, at the meat store, he said, don't even ask about where the meat came from. Just buy it, eat it, enjoy it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then second, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner, again, don't ask where the meat came from. Just eat it, enjoy it, be a gracious guest. But here's the caveat. Here's Paul's example of how we're to use our freedom for the good of others. Verse 28, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat the meat. Not because of your conscience, but because of the person who told you's conscience. Okay, what's going on here? You're at a meal at the house of an unbeliever. They are a a pagan at that time, a a Greek pagan person, and um, all people back then worshipped the different gods. Everyone was religious, believe it or not, until... I don't know until when. We'll ask the historians about that. Until fairly recently in modern history. Um, and, and this pagan has gone to the meat market. You know, they're not concerned about what's been sacrificed. to what. It, so they, they bought some meat. Um, and it turns out that meat came from a pagan temple. And they happen to know this. And someone at the meal tells you this. And this person who tells you, and this is important... This person who tells you is most likely not a believer. Maybe they're the host, maybe they're they're another guest. The reason we know that this person who tells you about the meat is a non-believer is because of what they call the meat. They call it meat that has been offered in sacrifice. At least that's how the NIV translates the, the word here. But the important point is that this Greek word isn't the word a Jew, or a Jesus follower would use to describe the meat. And again, you need to know Greek, or read a commentary, or have a pastor to tell you this. Um, But a a Jew or Jesus follower would call it idol meat. They had a specific pejorative term for this kind of meat. It's idol meat.
1: Um,
0: And we see that in verse 19, that word idol meat. But the Greek word here in verse 28, is more like sacred meat. It's basically the, pagan, it's the word a pagan would use to describe the meat. And, and so this person warning you about the meat is probably a pagan, because they're talking like a pagan. They're using the word a pagan would use. And so probably this person who's warning you about the meat is trying to do you a favor. They probably think you don't eat the meat because of your religion, and they know, they know Jews don't eat this kind of meat, and followers of Jesus were considered a sect of Judaism at this point in time. And so they probably assume that followers of Jesus don't eat this kind of meat either. So they're being thoughtful here. They're, 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 um, so what Paul is saying is that if someone tells you the meat has been sacrificed because they're being thoughtful and sensitive to what they think are your religious sensibilities, then don't eat the meat. Not because of your conscience, your conscience is clear, you know you're free to eat it, but rather because of their conscience. Use your freedom to honor their conscience. Use your freedom for the good of others. Because what will this pagan think if they warn you about the meat and you eat it anyway? They might think that you're being unfaithful to your own religion. In which case, why would they want to consider the Jesus that you say you follow? Or the host might think that they've put you in an awkward situation or made you feel you had to eat something that violated your conscience, in which case they might feel guilty or embarrassed. And you know how social occasions are. There isn't necessarily going to be a chance at the meal to explain the theological nuances of your religion and why you actually can eat the meat. So Paul says, just do what's best for the others there and don't eat the meat. Don't eat the sacred meat. Use your freedom for the good of the other people there. You're free. You're free to eat. You're also free not to eat. It doesn't matter to God either way. So use your freedom, since you're free, use your freedom for the good of others. This is how we glorify God, verse 31. So, whatever you eat or drink, whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How do we glorify God? Well, in this context, we glorify God when we use our freedom for the good of others. Verse 32, Paul continues Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews who don't eat idle meat, Greeks who do or the Church of God, who are at various stages of finding freedom in this area. Then Paul adds a personal note. He reminds them of his personal example. Verse 33, Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If we were to go back to chapter nine, Paul spelled out his example there in more detail chapter nine verse nineteen there Paul said about himself he said, though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law I became like one under the law though I am myself am not under the law so that as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I myself am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. How does Paul use his freedom? For the good of others. For the good of of others when he's with his fellow Jews he eats kosher why? well he doesn't want to offend them and they know he's a Jew so he doesn't want them to make make them think he's irreligious because he's not irreligious and when Paul's with the Greeks he eats whatever they serve him why? he doesn't want to offend against their hospitality he wants to get invited back he wants to be a good guest Because Paul knows that eating meals is such a great way to connect with people. And so if you're going to connect with all kinds of people, you've got to be free to eat whatever they're eating. (coughs) Again, he's using his freedom for the good of others. He's free to eat. He's free not to eat. And so when he eats, he always glorifies God. He glorifies God by giving thanks to God when he eats. And he glorifies God by seeking the good of those he's with when he chooses not to eat for their sake. So how do we apply this today? Well, here's an interesting application. This is something that I heard happened at CBC a number of years ago before my time. There was a program happening that involved children and um, there were snacks for the kids. And some ladies very generously and with great love were willing to go out of their way to bake some delicious treats for the kids to enjoy. There were some other ladies, however, namely the moms of those kids, who were trying very hard to nourish their kids on healthy foods. They were a little bit like my mom, maybe. And they were finding it tough because it seemed like whenever they took their kids out of the house, Someone was offering their kids sugar and sweets and artificial this and that. And so these moms were feeling powerless and they were feeling frustrated and trying to raise their kids how they saw best. And so there was a flashpoint around what sort of snacks were going to be offered to the kids at this church program. So, question How would we apply the principles that Paul is teaching us in this passage to that situation? And please forgive me if you know the situation I'm describing, if you've been here longer than me. Uh, Maybe I don't have all the details quite right, but uh, again, I wasn't there. I heard it secondhand. This is the way I heard it. So for the purposes of a case study, it should work. Um, Well, in terms of principles, on the one hand, food itself isn't morally good or bad. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, even chocolate brownies. Whatever you Amen, right? <laughs> That's what amen Whatever you eat, if we eat it gratefully, God does not have a problem with that. So let's not fall into the trap of spiritualizing the food itself. Now listen up, this is an important caveat. My mom would want me to share this. The diet we eat over time and our long-term habits around food can have moral implications. If we habitually don't care, take care of our body or of the environment based on our eating habits, that is another matter which is worth discussing, and there are moral implications there. But the food itself, in its substance, Paul is saying, is not inherently sinful. But on the other hand, the freedom, this is Paul's second principle, the freedom we have to eat this food, to bake this food, to find joy In seeing others enjoy this food, this freedom is meant to be used for the good of others. Not our own good, but the good of others. So question for the moms who are concerned about their children's health. Obviously they were concerned about the good of their kids, right? But they also have a responsibility to seek the good of those who want to bake treats for their kids. And for those wanting to bake the treats, they have a responsibility to seek the good of the moms who are trying hard to provide a healthy diet for their kids. So question, if everyone had that clear, that their goal was to seek the good of others, don't you think it could have been worked out in an amicable way? And, I don't know, maybe it was. Um, But the the challenge is that we're, we're so different from each other, aren't we? And we feel strongly this way, some of us, and some of us feel strongly that way. How can they see it so different from us? (coughs) And by nature, we're concerned about our own good, not the good of others. I experienced this in my own family growing up. When we went to one set of grandparents' house, we had red beets for dinner, and the beet greens served, too, in a separate bowl. It was that sort of thing. And then I went to the other side of the family and we had hot dogs and chocolate cream pie. (laughs) And the two sides really didn't see eye to eye at all when it came to food. But this is exactly the situation. It's exactly in the case of these kinds of differences that we have to realize that people are more important than food. People are more important than food. And being right about food, or getting our way about food, is less important than seeking the good of the other people involved. And this is really relevant in today's world, right? Some people are vegetarians, or they're vegans. Some people try to eat healthy. Some people don't drink alcohol. And many of us have strong feelings about these things. We have good reasons for not eating or drinking this or that, or we have good reasons that we do. We think they're good reasons. Here's what Paul would say to us. First of all, no food or drink is sinful in and of itself. God made it all to be enjoyed. But second, people are more important than food. Use your freedom to eat or not to eat in order to build up in order to seek the good of other people. I have good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ has set you free. So use your freedom to seek the good of others.